you know, you, you play lacrosse at a school like Harvard and you have one of the greatest networks in, in the world if you're trying to get into finance mm-hmm. <laughs> con- or consulting. Like yeah. it's one of the greatest kind of pipelines. But if you're, if you're wired differently and you have different aspirations, it, in a weird way, it can actually be a little bit challenging to kind of remove those blinders and, and step outside of it. So mm-hmm. um, I was, if anything, I was probably just like a little bit confused. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to today's podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Terry White. He's the owner and founder of Way of Life Company, also known as Waleco, which is an athletic apparel brand based out of New York City. How you doing, man? Doing well. Happy to happy to be here. So I, I feel like the best way to kind of kick things off would be to just fill us in a little bit on your background as both an athlete, your athletic background, and how that led into Harvard, and we can get into the uh, the business such uh, a little bit later. Yeah, um, you know, I'm originally from New Jersey. I, you know, I, I I like to tell people that I very much just kind of identify as an athlete, um, mainly because it was what I loved and was interested in, and you know, academic, academia for me um, mm-hmm. was always a, a means to being able to, to play the sports that I loved. Um, and uh, I also kind of, you know, it, it, it's people don't take me seriously because I ended up at Harvard, but um, it was always <laughs> a struggle. It was, you know, academia is always a struggle for me. I, and I think it's it's one of those things that kind of has paid off for me uh, in the long term is that I've always had to kind of over overperform in the classroom just to kind of be kind of a little bit above average yeah there's that um, like perspective i guess of because you were on i assume you were on like a sports scholarship people fe- felt like you were only there because of your athletic uh ability and not academics is that what you're saying well i um i just like struggled academically it was hard for me yeah it's um, a hard well, school right <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it, it, it didn't come you know even high school it, it was never came naturally it never came naturally for me so in terms of enable being able to perform being able to to meet the standard of what you know harvard would ultimately accept i had to kind of gut it out in high school academically but yeah athletics always came very natural naturally to me and um were largely my fuel um for sticking it out in the classroom and um doing as well as i possibly could but but yeah, and you know, ended up at Harvard, and um, you know, I, I, high school was hockey, lacrosse, football, anything I could really get my hands on, and and yeah. then um, college it was lacrosse, and I loved it, and was the captain of my team, just very passionate about that, and I tell people that led to, I think that in a way led to entrepreneurship, just because I loved loved being a part of that team, and that that there was like a gaping hole, like hole left in my life when I moved into the real world. And I think entrepreneurship is kind of what filled that for me. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially coming from sports and, you know, especially if you were like a captain on these teams, you still have this kind of leadership and this like hunger to kind of lead and be in this kind of group situation where, you know, you do have these kind of clear objectives. The the objective is on you. You take these steps, you, you know, plan and strategize as a team and so forth. And yeah, if you just go from from that to some desk job, it's a, a bit of a downgrade mentally, physically, emotionally. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, while you were in school, did you have these kind of clear, obvious aspirations to to start a business? Were you thinking about this, or what were you kind of going to school for, and where were you projecting your life was headed? 
you know, in a way I didn't, um, uh, no, I, di I didn't necessarily think that, okay, I'm going to graduate and be an entrepreneur. Um, I'd say I always had a little bit of a twinkle. Like I, you know, the thing that like the feeling that I could do something a little bit more meaningful than, yeah. than the, um, the road that had been kind of paved, which, yeah. yeah, which, you know, you, you play lacrosse at a school like Harvard and you have one of the greatest networks in, in the world if you're trying to get into finance mm -hmm. <laughs> con or consulting, like yeah. it's one of the greatest kind of pipelines, but if you're, if you're wired differently and you have different aspirations it, in a weird way, it can actually be a little bit challenging to kind of remove those blinders and, and step outside of it. So mm -hmm. um, I was, if anything, I was probably just like a little bit confused, right? Because I, when, you know, the idea of this, like you're going to go and you're going to get, you're going to get, make a lot of money. You're going to move to New York city. You're going to work in finance. You should be taking these, these interviews. Like it just didn't really resonate with me. Um, I still like kind of forced myself into it to, to experience it, but it just took a little while to kind of work laterally and get out of it. You know, I, I tested once I knew finance wasn't my thing. I moved into real estate, which was a more mm -hmm. tangible asset class. And I liked it. Um, certain things about it, the sociology, of kind of why people decide to to be where they are, move where they are and kind of the economics mm -hmm. around that. But, um, but still it was, you know, I was at a desk. I was found myself watching the clock. Um, and that, you know, ultimately that's what lights the, lights the fire, right. To, yeah. to go and find that thing and, and, and um, be motivated. Yeah. So a little bit of background about, about me a little bit where I can kind of lead this into just a universal entrepreneur experience, uh, entrepreneurial experience is I owned a yeah. gym, uh, for two years, opened it during the pandemic, uh, dropped out of college around that time was kind of doing a bunch of freelance video editing work where I was like, this degree isn't really headed anywhere anyway, as far as exercise science, I'm already working as a personal trainer. And, um, so worked multiple jobs, saved up the money, opened that gym, owned it for a while. But mainly like what was driving that was just looking at, yeah, looking down that pipeline and just saying, hey, you know, <laughs> I see the people around me and how they're kind of stuck. And it's just, you know, the hamster spinning the wheel until you're, you know, 60, 70, time to retire. And I was just like, I'd rather trade a nine to five for a five to nine and work, you know, ridiculous hours, stay up late, do whatever, make less money to avoid this, you know, monotonous rat race that is like presented right in front of me. And I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, like you said, if you're not wired that way, or if you're looking at that, and all that does is bring you dread, and you're just staring at the clock. Uh, I, I think it is, sometimes it's hard to say that, especially when, like you said, you're looking at a finance position, or you're looking at, you know, your network around you, and they're all hyped up to make, you know, a shit ton of money, or to, to work these prestigious jobs. But, you know, just because it, it the bottom line looks like, a, you know, big dollar amount and so forth, or the perceived value by society is one thing um, you can still internally just be surrounded with uh, you know dread if you force yourself down a path that's not defined by or paved by yourself right 100 percent, yeah and um, you know I, I don't know I, I don't know if it's you know I I think this day and age there's a lot of um, a lot of preachers out there right so yeah. and, you know there's no one way necessarily to to, to do things um, I do think purpose, you know, having purpose at the core, you know, like that's a bit one of the things for me. And I've gotten to a point where I've, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about my business, but mm -hmm. it's, it's been really, it's hard. It's a, it's extremely hard. And it's one thing for it to be hard. It's another thing for it to be hard for like 
almost a decade, you know? Yeah. Like, um, and you know, even, you know, and obviously things have happened with the pandemic and, you know, Mm -hmm. economic conditions currently, but the, you know, I, I continue to come back to that to exactly what you just, what you just stated, which is that I love creating. Um, I love kind of expressing myself through building something. And for me, there's nothing that makes me feel more whole um, and complete and grounded than being able to like, you know, put my, put my life's work out there and really express yeah. my, my, the greatest expression of myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes me feel complete. And it, it kind of replaces some of the other kind of more superficial um, pieces that, you know, that life can yeah. offer you. Yeah, it is the, like the beauty that you can just kind of it, it is in your hands, which is the, the scary and risky element of uh, owning a business, but also the beauty because it is. Uh, yeah, it's your it's your baby. It's your passion project. So let's talk a little bit about Waleco. So I feel like a good way to kick it off or you can kind of start however you want is uh, tell us a little bit like the why uh, and what 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 kind of triggered you creating this business? You know, I think a lot of it back to just roots back to being an athlete and um you know, uh, in the timing of it all. I mean, I graduated in 2012, 10, you know, okay. a little more than 10, 10 years ago. And uh, during that time, the, the experiences I had in, in New York City, while I was kind of working in real estate and just trying to figure my life out, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I became, I became extremely passionate about um, just my health, health active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but largely from, a, from the direction of, of being a little bit frustrated because I found it challenging to adapt or adopt or yeah, adapt what I, you know, had become so conditioned to, um, to do as a collegiate athlete in terms of training mm-hmm. and exercise and, you know, nutrition, which in college could have been better, but um, yeah. adapting that, you know, and then adapting that to the real world now having obligations where you have to be somewhere um, for the entirety of the day and, and the struggles of, of implementing those healthy and active habits that I was experiencing. I knew that like anyone else that's kind of in that phase of life would be experiencing as well. But, you know, more than anything, I, I started to really appreciate the profound impacts that, that when I could implement these habits and not just kind of occasionally implement them, but truly yeah. make them a part of, of my way of life and a part of who I was and yeah. uh, that, I was better for it. And I, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life at that point, but I knew that if I could find a way to integrate these habits seamlessly, um, that 10 years from now, I'm going to be a better person. Um, I'm going to be in a better place uh, or I'm going to be in the best possible place for myself. So as an ambitious guy, I became kind of obsessed with that, um, that, that concept and that lifestyle. And in a lot of ways, that's where kind of Woolico way of life athletic comes from. It's championing that that kind of active and healthy lifestyle, um, you know. For me, uh, and and then at the, at the time, you know, it was really in the market, and a lot has changed. But Nike, Under Armour, Lululemon, possibly um, mm-hmm. Adidas, were really the players. And I saw, you know, I wanted to build a performance you know, performance first company, and <clears throat> we, you know, when you look at um, a lot of what is out there now, there's a lot more kind of like athleisure style brands, but I wanted to build kind of the, the next generational performance apparel company. 
yeah. um, acknowledging that there, you know, there was a change in kind of the way that you know, the change in the, in the word and the definition of the word athlete, you know, when you think about Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, those brands exist around field sport athletes. That's their business um, because that's where influence has resided, right? Um, primetime television, primetime athletes. You know, when I saw kind of the changing of, of the landscape in terms of how influence is distributed and how the term athlete is defined, you know, I said, hmm, well, maybe, maybe, you know, the next Nike looks, looks quite, looks a bit different. Right. Um, and, and the athletes that, that we provide apparel to also look and behave a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to, you know, always set, set my aspirations very, very high. And, but, you know, it all comes back to an initial idea I had when living in New York city, I would, you know, I would run a lot. Um, it's the easiest, most efficient way to fit some exercise in around a new job. Uh, and, uh, I didn't have a, uh, one day I went for a run, didn't have a convenient place to store keys, cat my keys, um, cash credit cards, tying my, you know, apartment keys to my socks. And I thought, well, maybe if we had a, you know, a compression short with pockets, um, sweat proof pockets, then I could put everything I needed away. And then I wouldn't have to think about it and I could actually enjoy the experience, um, you know, versus carrying a phone in my hand and worrying that I might trip over a curb and, um, crack the phone and fall on my face. You know, at at that time, those, those hours, those, or that hour to get that, that exercise in was so sacred. So, you know, that's why I found, especially in that moment, this, this idea to me was so profound. Um, and at the time pockets on compression items did not exist we uh invented the first first version of it okay there's a bunch of things i want to pick out of that so one i like that you kind of reference that you know these big brands right these uh conglomerates and these giants of the industries of nike adidas um under armor reebok right and you know it really made me think about how i view i'm really into specialty coffee as well and uh how i think and how I explain to people how Starbucks, right, is like mass produce, it's profit first, it's, you know, get it out to everybody as, as, as cheapest and as convenient as possible versus you have these small specialty roasters, whether they're in New York or, or Denver or wherever, that uh, are, are looking to, instead of performance, you know, they're looking at quality and taste and so forth. Uh, but it's nice to see these different niche brands, like you mentioned, there's a lot that have started up specifically in New York, um, let alone around the country that have, you know, started to say, hey, can we, how can we carve out this niche or, or serve this certain population that is currently underserved or, you know, put on the back burner in a certain way. And then the other thing I like that you mentioned and um, something I know you reference in your video on your website that explains the brand is this idea of like this, these like next generations of recreational athletes and, and health conscious individuals who are focus on uh, having that sense of self-responsibility about their health and their life, incorporating these things. And um, again, that's the population you're trying to serve. Aren't They aren't the elite athletes. They aren't the uh, even collegiate athletes and so forth, although these athletes can, can certainly use uh, your apparel and get great benefit out of it. But it is the, the everyday athlete, the 30-year-old that's still trying to stay active and, and keep up and involved in group runs or different activities um mm-hmm. so i like that now as you mentioned the uh, compression short the northmore short um i'll say off the bat it's my favorite compression short i've worn it in the past two ultras i did i did a 50 miler a few weeks ago and 50k Amazing. and um i've worn a bunch of different brands uh i'm 
partnered with 10,000. So I've worn theirs for a while and I've worn other brands as well. And, you know, they're great and all. They're a step up from some of these different brands. But um, something about, you know, the way they stay put, the comfort on them, the, the sizing of the pockets, uh, the way they don't kind of ride up or down or sag off, stay in place. Um, they've just been my go-to, especially the, uh, I forgot what the full length is called, but that throughout the winter was perfect as well. Um, so yeah. I can say as a, as a user before I've even had you on, I don't have any affiliate beyond that. Um, I really love it. So I want to talk about those initial samples you made. And you mentioned that, you know, this is like the first short to really incorporate pockets. So obviously that was a key design feature you wanted to implement. But what did that initial uh, phase look like where you were, you know, testing out fabrics, choosing, all right, this goes here, this goes there. We need this measurement. Did you have any apparel experience prior to this? That's a lot of questions, but wherever you want to go mm -hmm. with it. No, yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, I mean, love to hear it. Music's my ears. That's, you know, it's, it's what we do. We put a lot of energy into it. Um, the longer pant is, is called the Fulton. Mm -hmm. um, so we got the Northmore and the right. Fulton, which are both streets in New York City, where we had our office when we developed oh, gotcha. the respective. Actually, well, actually, it's a decent segue into the um, to your, your line of questioning, which um, is at the Northmore short. It's named after the street that I lived on in Tribeca while I was still, you know, with one bedroom apartment with three of my buddies, um, we put up that T wall and, you know, working my job in real estate and developing this on the side. Um, and you know, it's something I tell people, it's like, you, you, if you're working a nine to five and you know, you don't need to quit your job to, to get the next thing going. There's, mm -hmm. as you'll learn, especially as an entrepreneur over time, like, there are hours in the day and you can really max them out um, if you'd like. But we, so, you know, uh, it, the, the beginnings of it are as scrappy as like, as it could be, right. It's nothing. It's, it's um, I think it's one of the reasons that I, like I did not have any apparel background, um, but you know, I'm definitely kind of like a, an entrepreneur uh, or I mean like an engineer designer type. Mm -hmm. And um, so we developed the first sample with a, you know, a shop in Minnesota, actually, that that had a unique model where they would um, take entrepreneurs that don't have apparel experience and help them build that first tech back. And they have a small also like kind of factory floor in their shop in, in uh, Minnesota. So I, I found them through Google, as, as simple as it as it can be, and um, just started mailing samples back and forth and I literally would leave my apartment. Um, I like get home from work and it's like the most exciting thing ever because, you know, samples take time. It's like, yeah, it takes a couple of weeks. Um, get home from work. You, you think that package is there. You grab it from the doorman and you run up and kind of look at it in awe, like uh, yeah. in disbelief <laughs> that you could, you could actually create something like this. Yeah. Um, and then you get out, I, I would just literally get out and take it for a run. Um, and it's one of the reasons I love Tribeca. It's one of the reasons that I, I named it the Northmore short is that you're right there in, in one of what I believe is like the best running paths in the world. Um, one of, you know, one of them, uh, which is the Hudson river running path in New York city. And, you know, my apartment was a block from that. I just pop out the front door and we're, we're cruising and putting in some mm -hmm. good music and thinking about it. How does it feel? You know, the placement of the pockets, you know, does the sweat proofing even, even work in the pockets? Um, and just rinse and repeat that, you know, 15 times, um, mailing samples for over the span of a year. 
Um, and it's, it's also one of those situations as a, as a new entrepreneur at that point where you have to kind of decide, like you have to get over your fear of just sharing this with people. Right. Cause you might, mm-hmm. you get to a point where you might over iterate, um, and, and attempt to kind of perfect the product. So eventually I had a friend who stepped in, he was like, Hey man, the product's great. Just put it in front of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, at that time I, I read a lot of kind of lean startup books back then that was pretty trendy. Um, and you know, maybe become a little bit less trendy with how much like venture capital has flooded into the consumer space (laughs) over the, over the span of the past 10 years. But at that time I I took it, took it to heart. And, um, ultimately, you know, we put that product, that initial version of it into the market, sold it, pre-sold, actually pre-sold it. And then from there we took it to Kickstarter to go bigger um, and ran a big campaign, which was really became a bit of a viral campaign. And that was our big um, kind of, that's what propelled us into saying, all right, yeah, we're going to take this seriously. And we're really, really push this thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point. So I was actually, I was unsure that it was kind of launched in a small way before Kickstarter. So it's good. I can hear that here, but I want to talk about the Kickstarter and about that kind of lean process because I was very much, I mean, totally different business, but I was very bootstrapped with um, the gym as well. Like I didn't go any kind of funding around. I saved up all the money myself. I was, I was under the mindset of it. It's, it's probably, I was like, it's smarter to probably go the loan route, but I was like, peace of mind wise, I was like, at least I know that the money I put in here, I don't owe anybody and I'm not like deep in debt. It's like, hey, it might all be lost here, but at least I'm not out even more. Um, yeah. And so I was, I was very much of that mindset, but I want to talk, ask you, you know, why you went, I mean, the Kickstarter is a great route, so you can maybe talk about your experience with that, but why haven't you gone uh, VC route or, you know, go to direct business loans or, or some of these different other funding options? Um, well, so at, the, at a high level, right, we, we used Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of set this precedent that I don't, you know, rev- we can fund this business with revenue. And, you know, that for better or for worse, um, you know, you learn, you eventually learn the hard way that, you know, every business is different, but we're, yeah. we're an in- inventory based business. And at a certain yeah. point in to be able to grow, you need to ask somebody, you know, your manufacturer to go out and buy fabric, buy all the materials and kind of extend financially, um, on inventory that you're going to sell in six months. Right. So there becomes this leverage um, that, you know, kind of a, a gap that needs to be filled by, by something, by someone, someone's money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we did ultimately, you know, we, we, we raised some money, um, but on like a relative basis, we've done it through angel investors. <clears throat> um, so for me, um, I think getting past Kickstarter, and seeing the momentum, seeing the, the kind of the virality that, that, that our ca- campaign produced gave me the confidence to say, all right, like to your point, like risking, you know, it's, it's, it's real. I mean, people are, you know, risking their capital, their savings um, on yeah. your, your dream and your vision. Um, but I, I think, you know, Kickstarter and, and a little bit of just obsessive um, like, I don't know, a little bit of naivete, um, thinking that I can be the next big thing, um, forced me to, or, you know, is what would allow me to generate the courage to go out and say, yeah, like, let's raise some money from, from people. 
so for all intents and purposes, you know, we spent, you know, five, six years relatively bootstrapped just based on we a few kind of smaller friends and family rounds along the way. Um, and uh, we are, you know, uh, what I'll say about venture capital specifically is that um, it's been a little bit of a, like the reason we haven't raised venture capital is not a hundred percent my doing, right? Like mm-hmm. at times I've gone into it and gotten a lot of no's. Um, and, you know, in some instances I've just said, you know, let's press on for another year and do this mm-hmm. ourselves and find kind of creative ways to, to finance the business and try to do it, you know, operate profitably. Um, but it's been a little bit of like a, like a, you get beat up, you go, you, you dip your toe into the venture capital <laughs> world. You're reminded uh-huh. of, of, of certain things and, and also kind of the, um, sharky nature of it and how you are kind of selling your baby to someone who's going to really try to take more control. And when you get to a certain point where we've been doing this for almost eight years, you, you're like, well, we've made it this far. Uh, I own more of the business, you know, we're profitable um we could raise more capital and push things harder or we could you know keep plugging along keep growing and um so you have to kind of have those those that internal dialogue but you know i'm proud of of the way that we've done it um we've got a great kind of community supporting us and um i am looking at funding the business a bit more aggressively kind of now now that we've gotten to this point it's a i like that you raised that point because so i i sold my business about a year ago like to the date we had owned it for two years but it is one of those things to where it is when you're giving up your baby to someone else whether it is just selling a portion of ownership or you're selling the whole thing because uh, we could have done either um it's really important to just really sit down and assess like what do you what do you want out of this and like what's going to make you happy and like where do you want your life headed and at that at that point not to ramble long on me, but I, I just knew that, okay, we've been born and raised in Virginia, lived here my whole life. I, I want to go out West. I think managing it from afar and letting someone else kind of call out of the shots. I'd rather just be out of it as a whole and say, Hey, this isn't, you know, this isn't on me just in case, you know, they're making different decisions. I don't want my name attached to it. Um, but even now it's, it's tough kind of looking at it and saying, okay, there's a lot of good things that's happened, but then a lot of the, you know, members we had at the gym kind of left or, or had a bad taste in their mouth, um, from the changes that were made. So it's, it's one of those tough things, like you're saying, especially with a, a product-based business, um, just figuring out, you know, what direction they want to go into, uh, and then tying into the idea of funding, it is, there's a ton of pride, I think, with bootstrapping it and doing it, um, not obviously on your own per se, but in a, in a raw, you know, uh, lean, you know, startup type of way, but it is with apparel, it's very difficult because, uh, a friend of mine, he was briefly, I think he founded it and then sold his, his part of the partnership, but, uh, it was a uh, men's apparel brand in New York City, not athletic based, but um, you know, different style and apparel. And uh, he he was telling me about how difficult it is with all the different SKUs, right? You have sizing and coloring, and particularly with his stuff with the pant sizes, like you have length and and waist, and it's so many factors. And trying to keep that in stock and 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 all of that, it's it's a uh, very expensive and very difficult to manage. Uh, yeah, what, what are your what are your experience have been with that? As oh, you guys have grown more, no, it's a it's a yeah it's a great point i think um first thing i would say right i think at this point i feel like a second time entrepreneur because i've been through Mm -hmm. a lot but i can appreciate kind of some of that naivete early on Mm -hmm. in at which time i didn't really i didn't 
appreciate what you know what you just said about the challenging nature of this business right mm -hmm. it's it is it is unique in in that um you know the way that this the SKUs are set up um i mean apparel just generally is um you know you're asking people to put something on their body and go out and wear it in public mm -hmm. um and feel good about it it's a very difficult thing to achieve to get someone to, to buy buy mm -hmm. product like that and um and do so genuinely not just because they're your friend and they want to support you yeah it's a bigger um, commitment on the consumer's end yeah so you know apparel is is known to be a very challenging category and you know fortunately i'm i'm a tough guy and sometimes i'm too tough um because i've been able to kind of stomach stomach the business and um get through it but i think you know one of the things that we've done really well to it's allowed us to navigate is um really obsessing over what we what we do best um you know this day and age with digital distribution um you don't need to go too broad right with your set of SKUs. i think historically retail was built in the physical environment and brands needed to come to the table every season with you know, hundreds of new SKUs that are mm -hmm. fashion and fashion in nature is actually spec is actually speculative, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You don't know that, that people are going to like that color or that new print, that new design, that completely new SKU that you've developed for this season. You know, that may end up, I may end up in a landfill somewhere. Um, so I think with the, you know, the age that we live in, you know, you have this incredible ability to study data. Um, and also, you know, just the way that we, which, which informs purchasing and, and efficient, allows you to be more efficient with the way that you operate. Um, but I think for us, it's, you know, I've always wanted to build technical products that, that perform a certain way, that provide function, that are extremely intentional in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and what that has, the byproduct of that has been, you know, an assortment of, of products that are more evergreen, right? Like they're, yeah, yeah we may, you know, if we don't sell something today, like we'll sell it in two years, right? Yeah. Because it's, not seasonal. it's you know, the quality is there, the function is there. And you know, that's the mentality and kind of the rigor that we like to bring to, to all of our product development. And we like to think about how many of these can we sell versus just how many different options can we give people, right? So I think that's one of the things that we've become extremely effective and it's what, what's allowed us to kind of navigate in a more bootstrapped fashion. But um, no, you're not, you're not wrong about um, the challenging nature of this business. And, you know, there becomes a lot of pressure to, to look at different distribution channels outside of mm -hmm. an online store. Um, but you just got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Yeah. <laughs> so since you, you referenced it, so you obviously are a direct-to-consumer business, and I think that there's a lot of uh, beauty and flexibility with that. Um, however, I wonder, you know, what has your experience been with that as far as, you know, trying to still get brand awareness? I mean, social media is a, is a beautiful thing, especially for a direct-to-consumer business where you can, um, you know, run these different ad campaigns and, and try and get to these different events or, uh, you know, work with different influencers and so forth. Uh, but how... 
what has your strategy, I guess, been with that as far as raising brand awareness, getting out locally? Obviously, New York City has a big uh, running community and, and, and just athletic community in general. How have you been or how what has your strategy been to raise awareness and get the word out about your brand? So we, you know, one of the things that we really we did extremely effectively in the early years, um, you know, like really the first five years, uh, we built a, um, a community workout concept, uh, fitness concept um, called Woolico Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And we hosted, you know, we started by kind of bouncing around a little bit to different studios, gyms. Um, ultimately, it really came to a head, um, I'd say like 2018, 2019 in particular, before the pandemic. Uh, we were on a pier in Tribeca. Um, with a big turf field at 6.30 in the morning every Wednesday from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And we were bringing in anywhere from like 150 to 200-ish people for a morning workout with um, with some of New York City's top, you know, fitness talent. And um, just creating a a party, really. You know, people that wanted to get up, wake up, be surrounded by other ambitious health-minded people um you know we brought in some of the just like the cool new york city fitness people that brought really great energy um you know we didn't have to pay them is it Mm -hmm. we didn't we built this concept up from zero to you know 200 people a day with no budget just kind of crafty brand partnership tactics Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fitness inf- instructors were kind of influencers in, in themselves. Um, you know, we captured lots of content. Um, so we, you know, this is an example, as an example, <clears throat> this was probably one of the, the largest tactics. And, and at this time, especially early years, we didn't really, we didn't really do much advertising. Yeah. Um, we leveraged partnerships, we built community. Um, and then at the core of it, you know, we wouldn't still be, we wouldn't be in business if we didn't have product that people, that people liked that people love and that people talked, people talked about, um, you know, we still have a relatively kind of narrow set of of product SKUs. Um, it's gotten bigger, you know, over the years, but particularly during this time, the first five years, it was like, you know, a few compression product, like compression products, hundred percent for men, um, and a few supplemental tops, but, um, yeah, so I mean, we took a lot of pride in, in the way that that, that built critical mass and interest and um, community, and um, but you know ultimately we we actually learned, especially through twenty twenty, that you know advertising um, can be pretty effective. So we kind of took the body of work that was our brand, and you know there's products that we'd been iterating on for five years, and then we got really smart about okay how can we position these online. Um, and run ads and do so effectively and efficiently. And um, it's really cool because now since, you know, the business is growing faster and we're able to put a, a greater volume of our best-selling products in the hands of, of real customers. Yeah. Then you know, the community builds from the inside out and, you know, you have people falling in love with the product first and now we can introduce them to other kind of community building tactics. Um, so right now, you know, one of the things that we're actually thinking about is how can we take, um, you know, how can we take that community activation concept and scale it a bit more? 
So we've actually kind of went into more of a construction mode for the past year or two. And um, actually like later this summer uh, into next year, we'll be looking to kind of regionalize it a bit and bring kind of brand partners on board. Um, you know, whether it's you know running or just kind of, we love this kind of contained boot camp style group fitness because yeah. it creates it just creates an interesting energy and you can kind of curate the environment. You can bring music into it and we yeah. can also generate, we also produce content off of it. I'll have to ask you a little bit more about that uh, after the podcast. But one question I want to uh, ask too, because, you know, I referenced in and obviously Roan's another big New York city brand and, you know, New York city in general, but also in a broader uh, view, how do you try to distinguish, uh, I always, I keep saying Waleco. You you pronounce it. Uh, how how do you Wolo- say it? Waleco. So Waleco. Like <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm like going hard with the A. Waleco. How do you distinguish Waleco uh, as a brand, as the uh, you know this industry of you know these recreational athletic brands or athleisure brands, like you mentioned, has become a little bit more competitive. Yeah, it's important to um, especially having like kind of seen it all rise around me. <laughs> Um, it's important, I think, to have perspective around like, you know, and I've had to kind of go through this exercise myself, just about around like how effective we can be with what we do extremely well. You know, like the market is big, you know, it's the United States and North America is the best consumer market on the planet, but there are even other, there are other markets. So you know, one of the things that I, you know, I'd like to come back to is just kind of being obsessive with, you know, the importance of really being obsessive with what we do best. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, you know, this like functional base layer category is something that, that we do really, really well. And our I mean, it speaks, right? I mean, I just, I just referenced that, that <clears throat> of all the clothes I wear, like that jumps out as, all right, like if I'm, if I'm racing or I'm going for a long run, like yesterday, like that's, that's the piece of gear I'm grabbing. So it might just be as simple as, Hey, we're just going to make the best product of like, you know, what, what we think makes our brand or product stand out the most as far as, as a design feature. Yeah. I mean, definitely to some, to some degree, right. I think, um, we, it's so important, I think, to be anchored by some form of innovation. Um, and it, I think also to develop a culture of, of innovation, with within product, so mm-hmm. you know we 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 have you know, it's it's what's always so most important is like it's not about what you did yesterday. It's like what are you going to do tomorrow, and that's how you keep yeah. you know keep your community engaged, keep them interested, keep them guessing. Um, and you know, there's a lot that you know we have the attention right because we've done great work around you know, our core set of products, and we can continue to innovate within that universe of, of like kind of functional base layer and. You know, we have some concepts in the works that that speak more to, you know, like the outdoor market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hiking, trail running, camping. Um, you know, we even have some ideas uh, to expand into kind of like the co- like coastal coastal culture. So kind of like athletic swimwear and incorporating lightweight kind of fast dry base layer. So really kind of keeping that core innovation at the the center of everything that you do will in one way, like the market's going to be the market, right? Like yeah, the market's right. going to go crazy, but it's so important to stay focused, 
keep your team focused around um, doing something better than everyone else. But then I, you know, just quickly, I would, I would mention, I think from a brand perspective, what, what we really want to do is, you know, I think kind of the, the Woolica Wednesday concept is a, a decent example of like the spirit of what we want the brand to be, which is inclusive, you know, performance first, you know, not to be confused with, with athleisure, you know, everything that we, mm-hmm. we do is, you know, we build products for performance. We're thinking about, you know, the, the kind of that athletic lifestyle um, and how these products can, can really fit into that. Um, mm-hmm. And being a brand that's, that's a little bit more um, kind of Gen Z, Gen Y friendly and um, adventurous in a way, yeah. right? Like the, the active, the athletic way of life is so much broader than, you know, the confines of a gym, you know, with a, with, a, with, with a rack, right? So we want to really bring that to life, you know, obviously matching our, our product merchandising back to, to that, that lifestyle. Um, and I think we can do it in a very kind of exciting and loud and energetic way that, that just attracts, attracts people to, to Wolico. And I think mm-hmm. Wolico way of life athletic company, it's like, who, you know, who can't relate to that? That's right. That's right. So as you've expanded into the, the women's market as well, you started with just primarily men's products and you've expanded to the women's market. What has that been like and what has surprised you as far as, you know, either a female consumer choices or the difficulties with um, designing products um, compared to male products or what's that been like? Uh, it's such a, such an important and exciting topic because we, we've been so male dominated and focused um, and to your point earlier about SKUs, right? We've, uh-huh. <laughs> we've been very careful and we've actually, we did experiment, we experimented, we kind of had a failed experiment actually um, in the women's market where we almost tried to create a brand within a brand. This was in like 2018 and it, you know, maybe like one or two of the product styles maybe have stick, stuck and are with us today. But what we learned is that, you know, Wolico is Wolico and the, you know, women's products need to like almost very, very closely emulate the men's products and kind of the vibe and, and the feel for me, it's always been, I wanted this brand to be very gender neutral, um, that, you know, accessible. And it's something that I noticed as an athlete, um, you know, who was surrounded by Under Armour, like the, the rising of Under Armour, right. As a lacrosse player, it's like the, the Kevin Plank went to Maryland and, you know, Under Armour was all over lacrosse. Um, but it had this kind of like protect this house, like yeah, yeah, I remember almost that. like a toxic masculine, like <laughs> yeah, vibe to the brand. Um, so my whole thing is like we can build a hard hitting performance first brand that that actually speaks to both men and women. So I feel strongly that 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 there's opportunity there for us. I think one of the things that's been hard is really stepping into it as a lean business. Um, because of the breadth of SKUs and purchasing that breadth and taking on that, kind of taking on that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but the positive thing is that we do have a very kind of tight assortment of, you know, like our best selling products on the women's side and they, they do well. 
and we have this kind of clan of, of women that love our products. So, you know, what I've learned about it, what I've learned about the, the female customer and kind of my perspective on it is that I think there's a, a class of female that's a little bit fed up with the kind of, um, I don't know the most like politically correct way to say it, but <laughs> say um, it doesn't offend me. <laughs> it's kind of like, like she, she, like the very she, she, um, like the kind of act, prissy, like act, aesthetic and over performance or there's just so much out there. Um, that's like overly feminine, um, okay, fash, yeah. fashion centered, athleisure wear like look at my flood. ass more than look at what i can do in it or yeah and like oh the, okay like we built not enough of we built this product for you to train yes because yeah, you are an, you because you are an athlete yeah you're an not athlete not an object <laughs> not you're not just going to take pictures of yourself um, yeah yeah so like i think with our especially with our our compression wear for women and the functionality and the quality of the materials. Like, I think, uh, we've got this clan and I think, you know, I want to, we want to serve that clan and expand that offering more for them. So I definitely see opportunity there, but you know, it's, it's a whole nother, you know, you double your addressable market, but that also means there's, there's a lot more responsibility to be able to, to service it. Yeah. I like that. I think, you know, I think zigging while everyone's zagging, as far as like we talked about with, you know, what most brands are doing as far as catering to women and what you guys are trying to do, you will have like a smaller subset of women that I guess are buying that. But I think in the long run, at least you're, you're, you're serving those women and that market will always be there and they will appreciate you um, a lot more than trying to compete with those other uh, brands in that same way, like playing their game. Um, I know you've had a busy week with it, with just with the business overall this week. And uh, so, so share, as far as what I'm about to ask as much as you want or as little as you want, but what are the next steps for uh Wallaco into 2023 and, and just beyond? Like what, what are you really trying to do to, I guess, uh, you know, build the brand beyond where it's currently at? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we are raising some money. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of laugh because it's, it's been a, it's, it's a challenging climate as any, I think any yeah. entrepreneur would. But every business needs money, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. I think, you know, we've, we've proven that we can be very like effective with um, less, right. So it's, we build up this like years of discipline in terms of how we operate that, you know, we can do more, we can do more with less. So it's an exciting opportunity to be looking at, you know, injecting some capital into the business. And it's also very, you know, like I you be very careful and it's important to say this because it's like people we've there's become a culture of celebrating fundraising, which it's, it's a, it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, be successful and operate the business the way you should. Right. Like, yeah, you're parting ways with your company when you do that. Um, so it's important to be kind of sobered in that, in that reality, but, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, my vision in a lot of ways to fulfill that kind of high energy, you know, Gen Z, really like millennial brand that champions this active way of life, really this like athletic way of life um, is yet to be really realized. Um, Partially because I've had to be so um, lean to this point. So being able to kind of take this next step with some funding. Um, you know, we're, we're going to invest a lot into our, just kind of our art direction, 
mm-hmm. of our brand brand aesthetic across the board. Um, and we'll put some really good energy into expanding our product assortment a bit, kind of, as I alluded to before, looking at some of these different kind of active um, kind of segments within, within the market, looking at the outdoor market, some like coastal, coastal market, um, mm-hmm. building great performance products for those different lifestyles. And uh, yeah, you know, we're moving into a new office. We hope to, um, we're going to be also rolling out wholesale, like a wholesale okay. business alongside what we do direct. It's, it, it's a very exciting moment because we get to really take a big step on a lot of different fronts. And yeah, it's been, a, it's been, it's been a lot of work um, to get to this point. So happy to be able to say that like we can start to, to implement some of, yeah. some of these, these efforts. Yeah. Well, last little question for you. What would be your advice to uh, either aspiring apparel brands or young Terry? Like, what what would you tell him as far as you know what you've learned? Where what would be those uh the steps or things to avoid? Wherever you want to go with that, man, I might say don't do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, I would say like yeah, be you know, be careful, be aware. Like this is yeah. uh is a big is a big big time project. Um. I think, you know, a, a preparedness to be ready to make some, um, you know, some lifestyle sacrifices. Yeah. Um, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. And, you know, outside of that, you know, there's so much to, so much. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know, I put you on the spot. It's, but, it's a broad question. But to, I mean, to, to go, yeah, to go even any more any more detail that mm-hmm. anywhere I, I would just bore whoever's listening but but i would say that you know the efforts that go into this this process this project building this business are as invaluable as anything you could possibly learn um at least you know yeah, i mean i get that blend between business, you know, the M like an MBA and, and also just kind of the, um, the personal disciplines and, you know, you learn so much about yourself yeah, because you place yourself mm-hmm. and, um, and then also maybe, maybe consider a, 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 a business that's, that's not based on inventory next time. <laughs> yeah. Or I, maybe I for, for chapter, for chapter two, you're going to be a badass because you've dealt with inventory and mm-hmm. scaling a business with inventory. Yeah, I get that. Well, I appreciate your time and appreciate you sharing all this and, and connecting on a deeper level. Where can people uh, find you and the, uh, the brand itself? Wolaco.com. W-O-L-A-C-O.com. It's the best spot. Um, follow us on Instagram too. East just at, at, yeah. at Wolaco. Um, and yeah, reach out. We're friendly. Not gonna plug yourself. Oh, I mean, don't want any uh, people hitting up the personal IG. I know you don't post a ton a, there, but <laughs> it's about you know, it's all about the business, right? Like it's um, that's right. Terry Terry White <laughs> Terry White NYC is my personal Instagram. You can also say hello, hello to me there. 
Perfect. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it, man. If you guys have any questions, um, definitely let me or Terry know. Go get yourself, treat yourself to a nice pair of compression shorts and other products that they sell. And I will catch you guys in the next one.